Wicked Smart Sports Guys is brought to you by CellMaxBatteries.com, the go-to website for all your battery needs. CellMax Batteries carries a full line of super heavy-duty ultra-alkaline lithium and button cell batteries. CellMax Batteries compares in quality to well-known national brands, and the best part, CellMax Batteries are priced much lower than their competitors. Flashlights, remote controls, gaming controls, headphones, digital cameras, hearing aids, smoke lamps, whatever device you need a battery for, CellMax has the best batteries at the best price for your device. You can order a 24-pack of AA or AAA heavy-duty batteries for only $5.99 or a 24-pack of ultra-alkaline, ideal for all kinds of gaming high-tech devices at just $12.99. Guys, you know what? It's snowboarding season. It's skiing season. You're going up to the mountains. Okay, you're going to need devices that need batteries, all right? You, you, you want to have a radio on you or something like this, like in case of emergency or something like that, you need batteries. So go over to sellmaxbatteries.com, use coupon code BOSTON, that's all for case, BOSTON at checkout, and save 20% off your entire order. That's coupon code BOSTON at checkout and save big today. sellmaxbatteries.com, C-E-L-M-A-X batteries.com, the official sponsor of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Smart Sports Guys podcast. Thanks as always to Dolly Dreams for the intro music. This week, we're talking Celtics at the All-Star break after just an incredible game last night against the Los Angeles Clippers, and we'll be doing that with Guy Boston Sports Celtics writer Jason Yeager. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing today, KJ? I'm doing great. That game last night was incredible. I gotta say, it kept me up uh, for a while thinking about it afterwards. I needed to decompress for a little bit after watching that game. Double overtime, one of the best games of the season, maybe the game of the year in the NBA, really, when you look at it. Uh, What were your thoughts? What were your takeaways from that matchup? My first takeaway is that Jason Tatum is a superstar. That's really what pops out to you at first, 39 points, uh, over 60% shooting from the field, really primarily being guarded by Kawhi Leonard and other great defenders that the Clippers have. I think that he's just taken that next step this year. And uh, like you were uh, were talking about earlier, a lot of the dialogue surrounding his game last night was that it was his breakout game of the year, that this was really like one of the first times that he's showed his stuff on the national stage. But it's been it's been going on for for really this whole season. Yeah, there, there's a reason Jason Tatum's an all-star. A lot of people, casual fans and what have you, were, were surprised when they saw Tatum's name on there, especially over Beal and stuff like this. And I think you saw, uh, like, for instance, when they did the all-star draft, like, Jason Tatum was taken in, like, the fourth round of the, the bench picks in the all-star draft, which is, you know, pretty highly for someone who's a first-time all-star who was considered to be just on the fringes of making it. Like, he was picked you know, right in the mix with the the middle of all those guys. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that clearly a lot of players in the league respect. And yeah, this was, like you said, national stage, national TV game, right before the NBA's All-Star break. All eyes are on this matchup. People are trying to watch that last basketball game before we get into the All-Star weekend festivities. And basketball is, quite frankly, not really going to happen for a while here because there is that break after the All-Star game. And the All-Star game isn't you know, it's it's fun and it's, you know, good, but it's not really the most competitive thing in the world. We'll see if that, uh, you know, changes the season. I know last season it, it was a little bit more competitive than it usually is, and the NBA is trying to implement things to make it more competitive. But overall, it's the first real, last real basketball game we're going to see for a while here. So uh, all eyes were on this, and people saw Jason Tatum have a great game, make some great shots down the stretch, and people started to say, you know, Jason Tatum's rise to stardom. And I, I can't help but think, you know, Jason Tatum's rise to stardom started a while ago. You guys are late to the party. I mean, you know, the, he had this huge game against the Pelicans where he had a career high earlier this season. And, you know, obviously that's not the Clippers, but it's Brandon Ingram, a guy that a lot of people thought was better than him, and he just schooled him. And, you know, I, I see this often with Jason Tatum and that people kind of underrate his defense or underrate his game as a whole. And, you know, it just seems like 
they're not paying attention. Because if you think this was Jason Tatum's breakout game or his rise to stardom, uh, I don't know what you've been watching because this this happened already. There's a reason he's an all-star already. You know, he's this this has been going on this year for a while now. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he he's on the season. He's averaging 1.4 steals and almost a full block a game. I mean, his defense has has just risen to another level now, uh, and the advanced stats will tell you the same thing. And yeah, I mean, after after kind of a, a shaky start, at least in regards to shooting percentages from the field and from three point range, he's he's all he's up back to respectable numbers. It's now forty four point three percent from the field and thirty eight point two percent from three. So he's creeping back up there and and really getting his efficiency back up. And coupled with this this scoring outburst that he's really you know been on for most of the year now, he's he's establishing himself as definitely one of the best forward, and I would say probably a top fifteen player undoubtedly so far this year. Which is wild to think about. And you know he he's starting to develop some of those isolation moves that you need to be considered that highly in the league. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about this game because. As we said, did go to double overtime. A lot of things to talk about. One of the things on the Clippers side, Lou Williams, I mean, he just destroyed the Celtics. He was really the guy for the Clippers down the stretch. It wasn't really Kawhi Leonard. They were running, you know, it was pretty much the same play every time. It was a double screen for Lou Williams to get him switched on to whoever the Celtics center was. And he just kept attacking it and kept scoring it. And it's really been often this season that Lou Williams has been the guy the Clippers go to in those spots rather than it's surprising they have these great players like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and you know certainly they they don't never go to Kawhi Leonard they went to him in the game against Miami uh, recently that uh, Kawhi Leonard was the guy but against the Celtics and against a lot of teams this season they choose to go Lou Will down at the end and Lou Will I mean it worked pretty much for them I mean he missed one shot there and you know ended up ended up obviously they ended up losing so I shouldn't say it worked so much but you know he he kept getting buckets against the Celtics center so I, I I don't disparage them at all for keep going to that same play every single time because it was working and Lou Williams was just uh, people were saying that he was walking bucket in that game yeah definitely and we've you know we've seen this story before with him with with a bunch of other teams he's largely regarded as the best most consistent sixth man in basketball but yeah like you said I mean the, the usage rate is really high 33 field goal attempts last night to go along with eight assists uh, obviously the ball was in his hands for most of the game and it's it's interesting to see LA's attack you know uh, switch off between using Lou and, and Kawhi and, and when Paul George is in the game they use they utilize him as well but yeah I mean he's he's going to be a problem really for whoever plays the Clippers because he's just you know they can bring him off the bench by the time that the starters are winded so one of the scariest players in our game for sure offensively um just because of the situation he's in yeah and and i think bench scoring is somewhat overrated in the game like a lot of people were clamoring for for bench scoring on the celtics and i thought well you know you stagger the minutes of your four guys you have four guys who can really score kemba Jalen, hayward and tatum so you just stagger those minutes but you're right there is still i, I will concede even though i don't totally buy into it there is some element to what you're saying of the guy comes in and he's fresh as soon as he comes into that game with like the four minute mark and he can just start getting buckets on you and and certainly Lou Williams is that guy so it makes it easier to stagger the minutes when there's someone on the bench but it's still very possible and still something a lot of teams do uh with the starters so that's why I didn't totally buy into that for the Celtics but in terms of just secondary scoring obviously he was starting tonight but on most nights he doesn't Marcus Smart was huge in this game against the Clippers 31 points Probably his best game. I mean, you know, he had that game against the Suns, where the Celtics lost, which was disappointing where he went off. He goes off tonight in a win, 
big game against the Clippers, like a huge, you know, this is one of the biggest matchups of the season. His game kind of almost flew under the radar a little bit with how good Jason Tatum did, but he should really get a lot of credit for how he played in this game. And that, you know, in the big games, he shows up and tonight, offensively, it was where he really showed up the most. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we usually don't, don't see performances like this from Marcus and, uh, and he was pretty fairly efficient. Uh, I mean, for him, you know, he's, he's sitting at right around 32% from the field uh, on the season. But last night, he had 10 of 20, uh, you know, pretty pretty good showing to go along with four steals. And 14 three-point attempts is a lot for him. Um, I, You know, that's kind of iffy. Uh, and he usually isn't making threes at such a high clip. But that's still 35%. That's not bad. And he was he was just integral in spacing the floor and, you know, in classic Marcus Smart fashion, just coming up with those clutch buckets and, and those... Uh, those baskets that really change the the course of the game. Yeah, and he's the definition of a gamer. You know, I mean, he made that huge play against the Clippers, if you remember, in the first time they played where he was on Kawhi Leonard, he stole it, he dove out of bounds and knocked it off Leonard's leg, and that was a huge play. It was incredible from Smart. And, you know, a play like that, that doesn't go down on the stat sheet as a steal. That just goes down as a turnover for Leonard because, you know, to get a steal, you need to get possession of it. Obviously, Smart didn't there. But that's the type of plays that Marcus Smart makes all the times. And you see in these big games where he really comes through for Boston and just you know plays out of his mind. And tonight, as we said, not it's not usually offensively. Usually you get the contributions on the defensive end. And he would still had four steals, so he still played great on defense too. But uh, offensively mm-hmm. was where he, he really came up big for them. And uh, obviously, you know, that, that showed here. A guy for the Clippers who usually does that, Patrick Beverly, uh, he was not playing in this game. And, you know... I, I, that wasn't. I don't want to say it was the biggest thing ever because he's certainly not one of their top guys. I mean, Brown and George also missed the game. George played a little bit, but he got pulled out obviously for the end there. So there was there was some key players missing for both sides. But Beverly was a big one that I wanted to point out only because in that first matchup, it seemed like he was hitting every big shot. I mean, Kawhi was driving and kicking, and Beverly hit like three or four corner threes in that game that were just, uh, you know, killers for the Celtics and really propelled the Clippers to a win. Like, Beverly just kept coming up big at the end there. Uh, and so, I mean, he was a huge factor in that first matchup. And obviously, it's, it's you know, similar to what Marcus Smart does for the Celtics. Patrick Beverly does the same things for the Clippers. I mean, he's that same type of gamer for them. And I don't want to discount the fact that he wasn't playing in this game because he was so huge in that first matchup and because he makes those same kind of winning plays for them. So, I, you know, I don't want to total. I'm not totally like the Celtics still won. It was still a competitive game. You still have to pull that out at the end. You're still going against one of the game's best in Kawhi Leonard and Lou Williams, like attacking you. Like that's a lot to overcome, especially without one of your best players, Jalen Brown. But uh, if these teams do see each other again in June, uh, you know, Patrick Beverly playing is, is a huge factor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, you know, like you said, Patrick Beverly is, is to the Clippers essentially what Marcus Smart is to Boston. He's he's the heart and soul. He's the driving force, and he's the, the energy guy that's going to really pick them up. And so you don't really see his his uh, la- the lack of Patrick Beverly on offense for the Clippers, really. I mean, they still scored over 130 points. It took them two overtimes, but they still got their, their points on offense. But it's, you know, on the defensive end, you know, you saw – Tatum and Smart really going at Kawhi Leonard. And I think Kawhi Leonard kind of got tired out by the end of that game, by the second overtime, where he had been tasked with guarding Boston's best players for so much of the game, and they didn't have Patrick Beverly to take some of that burden off, that extra body to throw at 
Tatum and, and Hayward and Kemba and Smart. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you just saw Boston picking apart their defense, and you have to figure that that the lack of Patrick Beverly there uh, was a contributing factor for that. But like you said, I mean, injuries are part of the game. Boston has been dealing with little uh, nagging injuries to all of their players really all season now. So it's it's something that you have to adjust around and make sure that you have the depth to overcome that. And Boston, you know, missing Jalen Brown was able to to get the win. So. And I don't really know how what the what the numbers are on this, but I I, I don't I'd have to look at like the percentages and you know they, they have those possession stats of who guarded who for what amount of time. I don't know how often Leonard was really on Tatum because I, he was the primary defender, but the Celtics got a lot of switches, like especially at the end of that game, they kept getting Shamit switched on to Tatum in those moments. So I I want to see the numbers on that. I know I did see the numbers of Tatum guarding Leonard, and Tatum did very well against Leonard defensively in this game. There was a, a couple plays where he had great contests on him, and, and uh, there was one a couple he made too because Leonard's just so good. But so Tatum defensively against Leonard was great. I don't know how much Leonard really got to show against Tatum because the Celtics kept running these screens with Kemba uh, and, and getting these switches they wanted for Tatum. So. You know, Tatum Tatum was great, and he, he certainly, you know, he deserved a lot of credit for the game he had. I just don't know how much of it did really come against Kawhi Leonard, because they, they did kept running those switches for Tatum. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I noticed that as well. A lot of Tatum's work was against Shamit, but overall, I mean, I think, uh, I think they did a great job limiting Kawhi offensively. And, you know, with Pat Patrick Beverly out, that puts even a bigger offensive burden on Kawhi Leonard to to score and we saw that with the 27 field goal attempts uh and so i think they did a great job limiting him offensively and attacking him defensively um even despite the all the switching and the the offensive trickery that brad was pulling out of his his book but uh Kawhi's a great defender and it just speaks to the the level of offensive talent that boston has that they are able to just play play hard and play through these great defenders like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and uh, and really show that they're one of the elite offensive teams in this league. Yeah, and one of the reasons that Leonard can't just fight through the screen there is because, the, like you said, the Celtics have so many other offensive players. So if Kemba's setting the screen mm-hmm. and Kawhi tries to fight over it, and you risk the chance of leaving Kemba open for a three, even giving him a little bit of space, like that's a risk that the Clippers couldn't afford to run. So that goes back into the fact, yes, the Celtics have so many great offensive players that it's not totally absurd that Kawhi Leonard is switching off Jason Tatum to guard Kemba Walker because Kemba Walker's an all-star too. You know, so this is that's a huge factor in this game. And when you get Jalen Brown back, it's the same type of thing. So uh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, we talked about Lou Williams a little bit there. I did want to mention in the game how they used him because they had those double screens where they were getting switched on to the Celtics centers. And obviously, I mean, I, I want to give Tice some credit because when Tice was in there, the Clippers weren't attacking him the way they did when Cantor and Williams were in there. So, I mean, Tice, you know, he, he gets a lot of, you know, gets a lot of flack from fans because he's not exactly the best center. A lot of people want to upgrade that position. But he is really underrated, and you saw when he came out of that game, when he fouled out, the Clippers immediately started attacking the Celtics centers. Like, they ran one pick-and-roll at an S. Cantor with Lou Williams, and he scored, and Brad Stevens said, you know what, no, I've, I've seen enough of this already. I'm taking... And he took Cantor out and put in Grant Williams, who also wasn't great. I mean, the, the first play Grant Williams got him, you could see Marcus Smart was... Lou Williams had, him, had a step on him, and Marcus Smart had a step in, and they kicked out, I think, to Leonard, who had a three, so... 
uh, you, you know, it was just that constant uh, issue of the Celtics could not stop Lou Williams because they didn't have Tyson in the game anymore. And when he was in there, you saw the Clippers were they were like, they didn't want to attack him the way that the same way they wanted to attack Grant Williams and Ines Cantor. So Grant did okay. You know, he 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 played as good well as you could expect against Lou Williams. It's not like any real big or and I know he's not necessarily a true big, but Anybody who's playing center and in the NBA is going to have a tough time guarding Lou Williams for the most part. So you don't want to disparage him too much. But yeah, I mean, he did struggle at times. He he had some good contests that Lou Williams hit shots on anyway. But uh, I mean, you really saw in that game. What I really wanted to point out was just when they tried to put in an S. Cantor, who just that Brad Stevens was not having that. He he did not uh, love what he saw with an S. Cantor trying to guard Lou Williams pick and rolls at all. And you saw him. That's why he pulled the leash so early on him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, I think Brad sees the Cantor struggles defensively uh, quite a bit uh, on a a day-to-day basis throughout the season. But, you know, one of the things that makes Lou so dangerous, too, is having Montrez Harrell ready to catch a lob or or finish a layup. And I was very impressed with Montrez Harrell last night. I mean, 24 points on just 12 field goal attempts. He was getting to the free throw line a lot. He was a monster on the boards with 13. Uh, he was he was dangerous, and he was another one of those guys that that was really just picking Boston apart last night. And I think when that tandem of Lou Williams and Harrell gets into the game, they they're just so dangerous. Yeah, and Brad is someone who obviously values defense tremendously. I would say values defense mm-hmm. as highly as anybody in the NBA. He he loves defense and he cares a lot about it. So that was a big thing for him in this game, and that's why if people were wondering why Ines Cantor was put in put out, it wasn't necessarily because he was limping so much. It was that he he just had no chance against the Louisville pick and roll at all. Brad saw it and immediately was like, "This isn't. We're not going to win the game like this." Um, yeah. Well, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. The NBA Finals matchup. Do you think this is an, a, a matchup we can see in June? I mean, how realistic do you think that is? I definitely do. I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of parity in the NBA this year, and both of these teams could end up losing in the second round. But I think it's a very realistic possibility that that they could meet each other in the finals. I mean, the Clippers are one of the most stacked rosters in basketball, if not the most talent-stacked roster in the league. Uh, And Boston isn't far behind. I mean, they have four legitimate all-star caliber players and some good depth. So I could definitely see either of these teams sneaking out of the the conference finals and into the finals. And obviously, uh, both of these matchups so far in this regular season have been overtime games. So if that ends up happening and these teams clash in the finals, we're, I think we're in for a heck of a series. Yeah, and, and I think with the matchups these two teams have had this season, and I would say I'm putting out an article later today of the top 10 NBA games so far this season, I would say that the, the matchups between these two teams, I have the, I have the two matchups ranked both in the top four. I have the, this one is first, and the matchup early this season, I have it fourth right now. I would say any neutral NBA fan... Without, someone without a dog in the fight should be clamoring to see this matchup again because we've had two incredible games from these teams. I said this to both of these teams, they've only played two overtime games this season. They've been against each other. Like That's kind of an absurd stat. Mm-hmm. You expect to see more <laughs> overtime games from these teams, but I mean that's just not the case. These two teams haven't been this closely matched with anybody in the league besides each other. So that's what makes this game and these matchups so great. So if we can see this in the NBA Finals... This would be a spectacular series, and I'm hoping we get it. I mean, when you look at the other matchups 
that we could possibly get. You know, Lakers, Bucks, uh, someone with the Nuggets, uh, you know, the Raptors, I suppose, you have to throw in there as well, the Sixers. So, I mean, there are all these other matchups that sure would be interesting and I'd be fascinated by, but I think the top of the list for me has to be Celtics Clippers just because of what we've seen these two teams put on the court this season. Definitely, yeah. And I think I think one of the reasons why it's so fun to watch these two teams play is that they kind of match up similarly. You know, neither neither team really has a dominant big man shot blocker that's going to be a real fixture uh, down low throughout the whole game. And they both kind of rely on uh, wing scoring and guard play. Um, maybe more than like some of the other top teams in their conferences, the Lakers with Anthony Davis and the Nuggets with Jokic and then the Bucks with Giannis and the Raptors with Gasol and Siakam. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's an emphasis on uh, wing and guard play on offense and then without really just a, a big-name defensive battle going on down low, we really get to see these forwards and guards kind of going at each other and just uh, trying to outdo one another on the offensive end and lock each other down on defense. So I think it, it really works out, and that's why you know the talent levels are are pretty similar. So that's why it's, it's come down to overtime, these last couple contests. All right, let's look ahead to the second half of the season. I say second half. They played over 41 games, but you know what I mean. The All-Star break is where it splits up. So second half for, for all intents and purposes of the season. Uh, the Celtics right now, if you look at the standings, they are one and a half games behind the Raptors, only one in the loss column. Uh, obviously, the Raptors just go on that huge winning streak. So priority in the season going forward has to be catching the Raptors for that two seed. They are right now three games ahead of the Heat, so they've created some space there. Miami didn't end on the strongest note uh, you know, going into the break. Jimmy Butler missed a few games. They had a road trip, so they were really struggling there. But uh, right now, it has to be Celtics-Raptors is what you have your eyes on as far as uh, a potential second-round matchup as well as the battle that's going to be for that two-seed uh, going into you know March and April here. So how important do you think catching the Raptors for number two is uh, for the Celtics going forward in this season? I think it could potentially be huge. I mean, uh, as we know, as we've seen all year, there's really not a huge uh, margin between these top five teams in the East, uh, maybe top six if you count Indiana. But it's going to be huge to have home court advantage. And if they end up playing Toronto uh, and they're the three seed and Toronto ends up keeping that two seed, then uh, they they might not be favored simply because even if they have a talent advantage, it's it's hard. Toronto and in going into the, that arena is one of the hardest places to play. So I think that if I was if I was Brad, I would be really focusing on obviously, you know, health is a factor and, and they shouldn't be playing guys too many minutes in order to catch up to Toronto but but that should be like you said the number one priority is is getting that number two seed securing that home court over everyone except Milwaukee uh and and really putting themselves in the best position to to go as far in the playoffs as they could go yeah and certainly that should be a priority of theirs I think what do you think is more important it, it, do you think it's catching the Raptors for the two seed or holding on to the three seed? Because I would say holding on to the three seed, and it's a comfortable lead they have over the Heat right now, but it's certainly not insurmountable. Like the Heat could still, you know, bridge that gap as the season goes along here. So, I, and when I look at it, I think it's, you know, it's not that I totally disrespect the Raptors because I have tremendous respect for their coaching, what Siakam has done this season, the player Lowry is. I think Kyle Lowry is a Hall of Famer, but. I still think the Celtics have more talent. 
And I think even if you have to go on the road for games one and two in Toronto and obviously game five and seven, I think that you should still be able to beat the Raptors even if you're on the road there. And I, I look at that versus falling to the four seed and having to play the Bucks in the second round again this year like they did last year. I think that's the more brutal situation. So when I look at it here, I think, yes, the like they should be chasing that two seed, but I might change change it up a little bit and say the priority should actually just be to hold on to the three seed because you do not want to fall into that number four spot and have to play the Bucks in the second round. You would rather put that off to the conference finals. Maybe they, you know, waver. Maybe they end up dropping the series to, who knows, Philly or someone like that, and then you still have home court in the conference finals against that team if you're the three seed. But... I, again, I don't want to. I don't want to disrespect Toronto, but I just feel like the Celtics should beat them, even if they are the road team in that series. Definitely, and I mean, when you talk about dropping to the fourth seed, not only are you going to have to play Milwaukee in the second round, but you all of a sudden have to play Philadelphia in the first round, and we know that that matchup can has historically created some problems, at least this season, with Boston. So, uh, yeah, I mean. I think if you had to choose, you know, which was more important, keeping the two, keeping the three, or moving up to two, you're right. Keeping the three is is the most important thing. You know, seeing Indiana would be uh, in the first round is definitely a winnable series, and then they have the talent advantage over Toronto, even if it's only slight in the eyes of most people. But uh, but yeah, I mean that that's that's also a winnable series, even if they are the road team uh, playing Toronto. So. I think either way, if they end up two or three, they're in a good position uh, come playoff time. But yeah, dropping to four is uh, needs to be avoided very heavily because a matchup with Philly in the first round could be very problematic. And we, I think most of Celtics Nation is uh, expecting at least a second round or conference finals berth this year, so... I will say this, if you get to the two seed, you could have a first round matchup with Brooklyn, mm-hmm. which would be amazing. That would be an incredible series. Celtics, Nets in the first round, Kyrie Irving coming into Boston for game one of that series. That would be just one of the best games you could possibly hope for, or one of the best series you could possibly hope for in round one for the league. So that is something to keep an eye on as well. I will say the Celtics... I want to talk about their schedule coming out of the break a little bit because it does get a little uh, iffy here. I mean, they have a four-game road trip to start, four-game West Coast road trip. They go Timberwolves, which shouldn't be too tough, but then they go Lakers, Blazers, obviously have faced Damian Lillard and the Jazz. Lakers and Jazz, obviously the two the two heavyweights there. Then you come home and you have to play the Rockets. So uh, and, then, and then just a couple days after that, about a week later, you have the Jazz again. So it, it, it's a pretty tough stretch for the Celtics coming out of the break. What do you expect to see from the team? Do you think they'll waver here a little bit? Do you think fans should temper their expectations with the road trip? And I mean, I think they might have a rough go of it. I think they might. I mean, you might be looking at a split on that road trip. You might be looking at some tired legs. Uh, you know, they they are coming off going eight and one their last nine, so that they they're you know bound to fall back a little bit, or they're due to fall back a little bit. Uh, so you know, I I'm iffy about the schedule coming out of the break. I'm worried that they, you might see a little bit. Uh, of rust coming out of that all-star break and you know just going on the road any west coast road trip is obviously tough and i think doing it immediately after you know being off for so long can just add to the brutality of that yeah absolutely i mean uh yeah i think you're right i think two and two is a reasonable expectation 
and I wouldn't even be surprised at a one and three record uh, over those four games. It's just it's very tough, and and uh, they also have a back to back in that little road trip, uh, and so the second game of which is at Utah. So I think that's definitely a game that's going to challenge them uh, greatly, maybe more than any matchup they've had so far. Uh, coming off a back to back on a back to back like that, and then uh, you know just the games against LA and, and Portland. Historically, we've seen Boston kind of uh, struggle going out there. Not earlier this season um, when they played the Clippers the first time, but yeah, usually I mean after after an All Star break, they'll have a they'll have some rust to shake off, and I think um, some they could pile up a few losses, but I don't think it'll be anything really too concerning. And I think that um, the fifth game after they get back against Houston uh, in Boston is a big, is a, a very important game for them. Dropping that, uh, the game a couple nights ago to Houston um, and watching Harden and, and Westbrook go off like that. I think it, it's it's important for them to, to get back on their home floor and to get that win against Houston. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall... Uh, just just staying the course and kind of playing Celtics basketball. And if they have to shake off some rust and lose a couple games, that's okay. The main goal is staying healthy and rounding into form come playoff time. Yeah, and you're also talking about, uh, I think, three national TV games in those five games. The Lakers, obviously, it's probably going to be uh, an ABC game. Celtics-Jazz is going to be ESPN. And then Rockets, Celtics is ABC again. So that, that, I mean, there's this is also marquee stage. I think if you can go three and two over that five game stretch, you should take it because that that is at, you know I think it's good as you're hoping for with it. It's just you know like I said a tough spot. Um, let's talk about this for a second. Celtics All Star Weekend coming up. There are going to be people Celtics Weekend festivities. Jason Tatum and the Skills Challenge trying to repeat. Obviously the three point contest. I was really hoping that Kemba. Or Jason would replace Damian Lillard. Obviously, Devin Booker does. He replaced him in the All-Star game, replaces him in the three-point contest. So, fair enough. I was hoping Tatum and Walker could get in there. Um, and obviously, Tatum and Walker going to be on opposite teams for the All-Star game. They were picked on opposite sides. A lot of people expecting maybe we'll see Tatum go at Walker one or two times in that game. They've already kind of hinted at it. So, what sticks out to you there for, for the Celtics All-Star weekend? What are you most excited to be looking for? Uh, I mean, I'm really excited, to be honest, for, for Tatum to to kind of show his stuff on the biggest stage. And like you said, I mean, this isn't, it's not exactly a super competitive game. And it, even with the this Kobe Bryant tribute format that they're doing, that they're trying out, I don't know if that's necessarily going to all of a sudden turn the All-Star game into this super competitive event that, that everybody is clamoring over. But, you know, just to see Tatum against some of the top stars in the game, kind of showing what he can do, showing how much talent he actually has, uh, is a great way for him to to put his name on the map and and really earn the respect from the NBA world in general. And uh, in regards to Kemba, I mean, he's been on this stage before, and just for him to be out there representing Boston should be great. Yeah, and uh, a big problem that you're looking at in terms of competitiveness as as well is that Giannis Antetokounmpo is terrible at drafting All Star teams. I mean, this is two <laughs> years in a row that he's drafted a very clearly inferior team to LeBron James and people are like what are you doing like I get it Chris Middleton's your teammate but 
just don't pick him. He won't care. Like you're, you're just gonna lose the. You're, you're gonna hurt your chances <laughs> severely by picking him first among all the reserves you could pick. And just overall, his his picks weren't that great. I mean, he passes on Kawhi Leonard and lets LeBron get him, and you know uh, some of the other picks that he made were just a, a little questionable. So. Uh, you know, that's another problem you run into is that if both of these teams play as hard as they can, LeBron's team is clearly better. Now, you could also say, you know, LeBron's team and Giannis's team, they're all still full of all-stars. So is the talent just so at such a high level that it won't matter? Everybody's so good in the game that, yeah, yeah LeBron has probably superior talent, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, they're all superstars, so they're probably all going to be even great. I hope that's the case, but you know, LeBron's team is just very clearly better. So if LeBron's team didn't win, I'd be surprised. I don't know what the gambling odds are on this, but I would su- I would assume they come in as heavy favorites. Uh, but you- you're right as far as Tatum. It's going to be exciting to see him in the All-Star game. If he can show it a little bit, that would certainly be fun. If he can win the skills challenge again, that would be a great time. I know his, his win last season, a lot of people loved that. If he goes back-to-back, he said that this is the last one. He said he's going to retire from it in the post-game of the Celtics Clippers. He said, you know, this one and then he's done. So uh, if he can take home the trophy, that'll be great. Um, one thing I want to talk about before we get out of here, you brought it up, Kevin Garnett's jersey retirement. The Celtics announced it last night. They are retiring his jersey number five. No one's worn it since he left, so it was a long time coming. I think a lot of people kind of expected it that, you know, the Celtics, it's, it seemed, you know, uh, is it going to happen? Is it not? Because they hadn't announced it for so long. But considering the fact that they weren't giving out the number five for, for a while here, it seemed inevitable that it was, it was going to happen. Um, what are your general thoughts on them retiring Garnett's jersey? Uh, I mean, I think it's well deserved. Obviously, uh, I mean, if you if you look at that team uh, in that little finals run that they made uh, as well in 2008 and 2010, you could really argue that he might have been the best player on that team. I mean, Kevin Garnett held his own offensively as well and was just an absolute monster on defense. And so, I mean, if you take all things considered, really Garnett might have been the most important piece on that team and I think for them to memorialize his number and uh his that run that they made is awesome and it'll be interesting to see if they end up retiring Ray Allen's number 20 as well oh well that's that's the question I suppose that's the real the real question is whether or not (laughs) Allen gets his number retired uh I will say I think some people would question the Celtics retiring Garnett's number just because he was only here for so long he's only here about you know six seasons and you know but I I don't think it is I don't think it's that much of a question he was a five-time all-star while he was here defensive player of the year NBA champion two finals appearances I mean that is enough and if he didn't get injured in 2009 who knows what would happen I mean that's the real whole question mark with Garnett's career is that if he hadn't got injured in 09 they were still so good at that time would the Celtics have won another championship? I think that's the, the big one that you look back on and say, what if? Um, but you were right. As far as his accolades when he was in Boston, I mean, it's no question. It's no question. And and six seasons, it's a, it's kind of short. I mean, you seven or eight would be, you know, I think the benchmark of where you'd want it to be. But he did so much in that six seasons. Like I said, five all-star appearances, defensive player of the year champion I, I don't know how I, I don't know what his all nbas were during that time but i'm sure he made a few teams all nba teams in that span as well so uh i, I think it's unquestionable i mean he changed boston you know the boston celtics were hadn't won a championship in you know since 1986 and they brought him in and they, they, they ended that dry spell so he deserves a lot of credit for that and you know he deserves his number in the rafters 100 percent. there's no question to me about it definitely 
All right, well, Jason, thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it, guys. You Be sure to follow Jason on Twitter at Yeegs0, Y-E-A-G-S-0. Uh, thanks for coming on and talking Celtics with us, Jason. Appreciate it. Oh, yeah, thanks for having me. All right, guys, and be sure to check out any of Jason's content. He did write a piece about Isaiah Thomas. We were going to talk about Isaiah Thomas on this podcast, but we didn't have the time, so we decided to cut it out. So check out his piece on Isaiah Thomas, the potential of him helping the Celtics at all. Maybe they could pick him up. Uh, you know, I know Danny Ainge made some comments to the contrary, but we'll see. You never know. Um, and be sure to check out everything over at Guy Boston Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at KJLDBS. Follow the pod on Twitter at Wicked Smart Pod. Uh, and thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week.